Good morning, uh, once again, great to see all of you, so grateful that you're here spending uh, your morning with us. Uh, well, we are in, in the middle of, of a short, a real brief three-week series uh, called Pursuing Kingdom Life, in which we're looking at the essence of discipleship. Uh, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And uh, last week, as Pastor Brandon mentioned, that this is probably something that you've heard us talk about over and over and that we plan on talking about over and over because, you know, at the very core of, of who we are and what we do, discipleship is at the core of why we exist right, as a church. So what is a, a disciple? Uh, well, here's how we uh, define a disciple or we define discipleship. Is a disciple is someone who uh, pursues kingdom life uh, with God, under God, and for God. A disciple is someone who pursues kingdom life with God, under God, and for God. Now, if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Brandon focused on that first part of the definition uh, in terms of like what is kingdom life. So if you didn't get a chance to, to listen to last week's message, I really encourage you to go back and do so. But he talked about what is the kingdom? What is kingdom life? Uh, what does it mean to pursue a kingdom life? And what I want to do this morning is just focus on this second part. Uh, life with God, under God, and for God. Now, when we, when we talk about life with God, under God, for God, uh, we're talking about different aspects, different components to discipleship that correlate with spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. Now, on one hand, it, it, it communicates a very broad, very general trajectory in terms of what discipleship looks like, that it's doing life with God, and then life under God, and then life for God. But it's not necessarily chronological or step-by-step. Step. It's not like we perfect life with God first, and then we graduate into life under God, and then we graduate into life for God, and then we're like, done. Right? Um, on one hand, uh, they are distinct. right? They're unique. They have distinct elements. Uh, but they're not independent of each other. Uh, they're interconnected, interdependent. Uh, uh, so, so for instance, right? Like, let's say I were to go to the gym one day, and, and I walk into the gym, it's hypothetical, and um, <laughs> I make the commitment that in the next six months, I'm going to strengthen my upper body, right? I'm going to get ripped. Um, I'm going to, you know, develop my pectoral muscles, my chest. I'm going to strengthen my back muscles, and then I'm going to, you know, develop my arms, right? Now, on one hand, there may be some logic to, like, developing the bigger muscles first and then working the supportive muscles, but, but I wouldn't go to the gym and then for the first two months just do chest only, Right, and then the next two months do back, and the, the final two months do, do arms, because while each muscle is independent of each other, they're, they're interconnected, they're dependent on each other. In other words, in order to, to strengthen, like to do a chest workout, I'm going to work out my triceps, right, back, biceps, right. So it's similar in the same way, right. When we talk about these aspects, components of discipleship, you'll see the distinct elements, but to also recognize that they're, they're interconnected, dependent on one another. So let's start off with life with God. Uh, what does it mean to do life uh, with God? A life with God is to pursue a relationship uh, with Him, to pursue a relationship with Him. And I think it's easy for, for some uh, to perceive the Christian life as um, attending church, you know, believing certain theological truths, uh, trying hard to do good things, and trying hard to avoid doing bad things, which which technically you know, isn't wrong, but at the core of it is a personal, intimate relationship with a God who is alive, active, and present. 
Right? Last week, uh, Pastor Brandon said that discipleship is, is a gift. Right? In the same way, right, it's important that, that we recognize that to, to have a relationship, personal, intimate relationship with the creator of heavens and earth, the sustainer of life, the author of salvation, uh, it's a gift. When Jesus began inviting the, the first group of individuals who would become his first group of disciples, as we saw last week, he would say to them, Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people, or kind of the more popular translation, I will make you fishers of men. Right? Jesus didn't merely say, Come and watch me. Right? Come and listen to me. Come and hear my teachings. Come and do what I say. Come and watch me work, which wouldn't have been incorrect. But at the core is come and, and follow me. Right? Come and just be around me. Spend time with me. Have a conversation with me. Hang out with me. Do life with me. At the core was an invitation to have a relationship uh, with him. Now, now what is that mean for us today? Uh, what are some indicators of doing, pursuing life with God? Now here are just some. It's not exhausted. It's not limited to these, but here are some indicators of life with God. Uh, one, life with God is to prioritize our relationship with Jesus, to prioritize that relationship, to make him a priority. That we ent- when we enter a relationship with Jesus, he's not just one of many relationships, right? But he becomes priority number one in terms of relationships. For the early group of disciples, to follow him literally meant that they had to, to follow him, right? They had to kind of go wherever he was going. They had to do whatever he was doing. When he went to a village, they went to that village, right? When he stayed, they stayed. When he left, they left. And in doing so, it also required them to at least for a season, leave behind the other relationships, family, friends, professions, career. And it wasn't that they cared for those relationships any less, they just had to care for Jesus that much more. That in order to prioritize that relationship with him, they had to deprioritize their other relationships. So pursuing life with God is to prioritize that relationship with Jesus. Uh, secondly, uh, to, to do life with God is to spend time with Him, right? Now, we know from, from Scripture that God is omnipresent, right? That, that he's, he's all present. In addition, as believers, we, we have the Holy Spirit like, living in us. So there's nowhere we can go, there's nothing we can do where God isn't present, right? So to spend time with Him, it's not like we have to go somewhere or make an appointment or schedule to spend time with Him. But it's pausing, it's slowing down to acknowledge his presence, to prioritize his presence, to be mindful of, of who he is, of what he's like, to be mindful of his character, to be to mindful of, of his heart, his thoughts, his, his desires. Right? It, it really is no different than, than having coffee with, with a friend or a loved one or, or going on a walk together, a hike together. Right, sitting across from each other, standing side by side with one another, acknowledging their presence, right, being mindful that they're, they're there in front of you or beside you. Sometimes it's, you know, there's a lot to talk about and you're having a conversation and sharing what's on your heart, hearing what's on their heart, and sometimes it's just, just enjoying each other's company, just being in, in one another's presence. 
So we prioritize the relationship. We, we spend time with God. And number three, uh, we, we get to know him. Right? We, we learn about him. We're intentional about learning about who he is and, and, and what he's like. Um, uh, many of you know uh, Tommy Joe. So kind of put him on the spot. Melissa's here. Uh, I know. Yeah, yeah, he's not here, so we can do whatever now. But uh, if you don't know, Tommy's been a longtime member at this church. Uh, he's been in, in ministry for a really long time, a campus ministry with GEMS, uh, AACF, a crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade, Epic, and uh, just a really well-known leader, at least in our circle, doing some like top-secret, high-level leadership stuff that I don't even know. I don't know what he does. Um, <laughs> Melissa doesn't know. Um, um, so, I mean, just gifted, intelligent, you know, successful, but just fun to be around. I mean, just has all these different interests, passions, just loving, gracious, fun to be around, and enjoy every moment I get to spend with them. Uh, But when I was in college, and I was a part of the Asian American Christian Fellowship on campus, and I remember going to a a training retreat, a leadership training retreat, LTC, and it was the last day of that retreat, and, you know, we're just hanging out, saying goodbye to all the new friends that we met, goofing around, joking, and all of a sudden, people are like, Tommy's here. T- Tommy Joe's here. The director of AACF, the president, CEO, like, he's here. And he's, you know, he's kind of walking through, and I just remember being just so afraid, like, just stop joking around. I was just kind of like awkward, uncomfortable, and I was just so scared that, you know, this is Tommy Joe, the director of, of AACF, and just real awkward, uncomfortable, you know, uh, until he left. Now, in hindsight, right, hindsight, My response, how I felt being around Tommy, was not a response to who Tommy was. It was a response to my perception of who Tommy was and what he was like. In the same way for many of us, sometimes when we we go to spend time with God, sometimes it's hard to know where do do we even begin? What are we supposed to feel? How's he feeling? How, how, How do we respond And our response to what we're feeling, if there's this awkwardness or discomfort, is a response to our perception of who God is in that moment, what he's like, how he feels about us in that moment. And some of us, our perceptions of him are correct and accurate, and some of our perceptions are are inaccurate. And thus, it's it's important that we, we get to know him. We learn about who is he, what is he like, how does he feel about us. Now, fortunately, God just didn't, he didn't leave us in the dark to just figure it out for ourselves, to fend for ourselves. Right? He's given us the Holy Spirit first and foremost to, to live it within us, to reveal himself to us. He's given us the written word, right? his spoken word, the scriptures, the Bible, to, 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 to tell us, right? to give us glimpses of who he is and what he's like and how he feels about it. And we live in a day and age where there's unlimited amount of resources, right, that can help us to understand and learn what the scriptures have to tell us. In addition to the scriptures, he's given us one another, right, the body of Christ here on earth, to help us experience, get glimpses of Jesus, who he is and what he's like, through each other, through who we are, through how we speak, through our actions. So one very practical way we, we do it here, you know, at church is we just, we gather together, right? 
once a week, at least once a week, for an hour a week or an hour and a half if you do snacks, right? Hour and a half to, to come together, right? To, to look at his word, to, to study it together, to reflect on it, meditate, and then to, to be around each other, to experience Jesus through one another, through worship and through fellowship, experiencing what he's like through one another. And this is why it is so important that, that you are here as much as possible. And not simply because we as pastors just like seeing you. You know, it's like better when you're here than when you're not. But more importantly, when people walk into these doors, when they step into this room and this place, and they're, they're, they're trying to figure out who this God is and what he is like. They need each and every one of us to show them who Jesus is and what he's like. And the people who are yearning to, to learn more about who Jesus is and what he's like is, is every single one of us. We all need to, to know and grow in our understanding of who he is and what he's like. So life with God, we prioritize Jesus, we prioritize that relationship, we spend time with him, we, we get to know him, we learn about him. What about life under God? Okay. Uh, what does it mean to do life under God? Uh, life under God is to pursue obedience. It is uh, learning to, to do what he says, to follow his instructions, uh, not out of fear, not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but out of, of trust out of trust. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. You see, when we pursue obedience, when we follow his instructions, we are one, we are demonstrating trust, right? that, that we trust that what he says is true. What he says is good. And we're also stepping into an opportunity to, to grow in our trust and, and grow in our faith. Right? When we obey, we are taking a posture of humility. We are taking on a posture of submission, recognizing, acknowledging, declaring that God is God. Right? That He's good, He's perfect, He's holy, He's righteous, He's loving, He's gracious, and we are far from that. And thus, in light of who He is in comparison to who we are, His ways his plans, his purposes, his thoughts, his desires are far greater, far better than, than anything we could ever think of. So to, to, to follow him, to obey him, is to demonstrate that trust and to step into opportunities to, to grow in trust. Uh, uh, last week, my older daughter Carly and uh, we went to Ikea, took her to Ikea to pick out a desk. So she's walking through, she picks out a desk, we go downstairs and we come home with a box, right? Not a desk, we come home with a box, right? Open up the box and there's just all these random pieces of fake wood, right? And then there's just this bag of like hardware, right? And you know, just looking at that bag, it's kind of intimidating, right? All these little pieces, all these random parts. But I remember just kind of thinking subconsciously like, all I need to do is follow the instructions. If I just follow the instructions and do what it says, then there's a 98% chance with Ikea, okay, not God, Ikea, 98% chance, right, that there's going to be a desk when I'm done, 
And the reason I, I know this is because of all the other IKEA stuff that I've built throughout the years and the times that I've tried building it without using the instructions. Right, so each time I build something, it helps me build my trust in the instructions that if I do what it says, it will produce something good, something desirable. And the same is true with obedience when it comes to God. It is a demonstration of trust, and it's an opportunity to step into growing in trust. Romans 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, we see Jesus doing this in the life of the early disciples. Right, Jesus giving them certain tasks, assignments, putting them in certain situations that would require them to, to trust him. Right, times when he would say, like, okay, go ahead and feed the 5,000 plus women and children with those pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. Times when he would send them out to sea in the midst of a storm. Times he would send them out on their own, two by two. Say, go proclaim the good news of my kingdom, but don't take anything with you. Don't take any money, just the clothes on your back and depend on the Spirit and the provisions of, of the Father. Right? He would put them in situations that were uncomfortable, difficult, challenging, but situations that ultimately invited them to, to trust Him and to grow in their trust and in their faith, which, which they did. So what, is that, what does this look like for us today? Uh, what does life under God look like? What are some indicators of doing life under God? Once again, it's not exhaustive, just a couple. One, this may be stating the obvious, but when we do life under God, we are striving to obey. Now, I say striving to obey because it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we never fail or we never stumble or we never fall. It doesn't mean we obey everything all the time. But if there is genuine effort, there is genuine intentionality in trying to do what God says, to obey his command, to follow his instructions out of trust and faith. Uh, secondly, we, we do that in community. We walk with others in biblical community. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Ecclesiastes 4.12, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Right? Discipleship was never meant to be an individual endeavor. From the very beginning, it was meant to, to do in community, to do with other believers, to be able to support each other, encourage each other, push each other, pull each other, strengthen one another as we journey together. So this may look like joining a small group, this may be being in, just being intentional of connecting with other believers, coworkers, friends. And I think it's important to be clear that this isn't just hanging out with, with other Christians, doing fun things together, which is not wrong at all. You know, that's great to do those things. But biblical community is more than that. It's to do discipleship together, to pursue life under God together, to grow in our faith, to grow in our trust, to pursue obedience. Right. So lastly, life for God. Uh, what does it mean to do life for God? A life for God is to pursue our purpose, to pursue our purpose. 
right? It's to recognize that, that God is not only worth trusting, but he's worth living for. That the best thing we can do with our one short life here on earth is to devote it to fulfilling his plan and his purposes to further his kingdom here on earth. It's to embrace the reality, the truth, that everything we've given, been given, everything we possess, our talents, our abilities, our spiritual gifts, our resources, all of God's blessings, all of the provisions that he's given to us are meant for us to steward in order to play a part in his plan and his purpose, to fulfill the unique role and calling that he's given to each and every one of us. Once again, the motivation is not fear, it is not guilt, it is not obligation, but the motive is love. Love for him and genuine love and compassion for others. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Matthew 22, 37, 39, in response to a question of what's the greatest command in all of the law, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the, the more we get to, to, to know Jesus, the, the closer we get to him and spend time with him, the more we learn to trust him, eventually we grow to love him. And the more we love him, the more we, we love others with genuine, sincere compassion and grace. So what does life for God look like for us today? What are some indicators of pursuing life uh, for him? Uh, one, we seek opportunities to bless others. We seek opportunities to bless others. Now, I say seek opportunities because it doesn't mean that we are doing everything for everyone all the time. We're limited, finite human beings. There's only so much we can do. But in seeking, we are discerning, right? We are coming before God, and we are discerning, God, how can I use what you've given me to, to bless other people, to fulfill the plans and purposes that you have for my life? We're seeking opportunities. We're discerning how God may be calling us to bless others. And then lastly, it's pretty straightforward, but that a life for God is a life that serves others. At the end of the day, it is a life that is serving others, protecting others, defending others, providing for others, loving, caring for others. Whether it's our closest family members and friends, whether it's complete strangers, even our enemies, even those who are hard to love. And in loving them, it's meeting their needs physically, emotionally, spiritually. Pointing them to Jesus, helping them to experience and see and get a taste of what his kingdom is like. And for us as a church, it's, it's this aspect for us that we really feel called and compelled to, to build into, to lean into uh, this season. Uh, to really discern for us how God is calling us to be a blessing to others, especially those outside the walls of this church. And this is why we're, we're so excited, we're so grateful, why we uh, believe it's a God thing that, that Pastor Abe 
is here as our pastor of outreach to, to help lead us and to discern God's unique calling for us as CBC to be a blessing to others. And in doing so, creating opportunities for all of us to step into our purpose, both as individuals and collectively as a church, to be a bridge between us and to those whom God is calling us to serve and to love on and care for and bless. In Luke chapter 19, uh, we, we get this glimpse of life with God, under God, for God, kind of all working together, kind of simultaneously, in, in one short evening. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, we're told that Jesus is uh, headed, uh, cutting through a city called Jericho. And on his way there, there is a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. And... Uh, Long story short, tax collectors were one of the most hated, despised individuals in the Jewish community. Right? The way they made their living, the way they provided for themselves was pretty much by taking from their own people, right? charging taxes on behalf of the Roman government and just skimming some off the top for themselves. So Zacchaeus was not just a regular tax collector, he's a chief tax collector, which means he's like the supervisor of all other tax collectors, and he's wealthy, which means he's got his hands in a lot of people's pockets. So Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming through town, and uh, he's curious. He wants to get a glimpse of Jesus to see what he's like, but he's short in stature, so he climbs up a tree to just get a glimpse as Jesus is walking through. And then we're told in verse 5 to 6, it says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Right, so here we get this glimpse of life with God. Right, Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over. And Zacchaeus opening up his home, welcoming him gladly. Perhaps cooking up a dinner, hosting a feast, throwing a party, making Jesus the guest of honor. Acknowledging his presence, just being with him, listening to him, hearing him, asking him questions. And then at some point during this meal, this gathering, Something is stirred within Zacchaeus. Verse 8, it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Right, so something is stirred within Zacchaeus, and he is compelled to move towards obedience. Right, he says, anyone I've ever cheated, I'm going to make things right. I'm going to repent of my ways. I'm going to do differently, and I'm going to make things right. I'm going to settle all the accounts. I'm going to step into obedience. I'm going to do life under God. But he doesn't stop there. He says, in addition, anybody I've taken from, I'm going to give them four times the amount. In addition to all that, with the remaining of my possessions, in theory, the, the clean money, the dirty money's all been given back, but the clean money I have, half my possessions, I'm going to, to give to the poor, bless others. Right? Life for God. Blessing others out of a genuine love for God and for others. Right? And this is a picture of life with God, under God, for God. And for Zacchaeus, it's amazing. It all happened in one night. Probably not going to happen for all of us like that. It's a journey. It's a season as we grow as disciples. 
So the question I want us to, to consider this morning is when it comes to these different aspects, components of discipleship, with God, under God, for God, which aspect might God be calling you to lean into this season of your life? And when I say this season, it could be today, this week, this month, this year. But which component of discipleship, life with him or under or for, is he calling you to lean into, to step into this season? And I think, you know, all of us, uh, there may be certain components of these, certain components that we are just, we just naturally gravitate towards more than others. I think some things may just come easier for us. And that's okay. It's a good thing. It's a a reflection of how we're created, how God designed us, how we each kind of reflect a different part of the body. There would be nothing wrong at all if you're just like, I'm going to go for all three. And I'm going to commit to all three. I'm going to do with them, under them. I mean, you can choose, and that's a good thing, and that's not bad. But at the same time, we, we need to be open to how God may be wanting us to lead how God may be wanting to lead us this season to lean into certain aspects of our relationship with him, to be reminded that when it comes to discipleship, he's the discipler, worthy discipling. So which aspect, which component is God leading you into this season? For some of us, maybe it's life with God. Maybe you were a new believer. Maybe it's just, it's just been a while since we've really considered our faith. And God is saying, hey, just come do life with me. Get to know me. Spend, spend time with me. Or maybe some of us, we've been going hard for just a long time, just life for him, and we've been going week after week, month after month, year after year, and maybe God's saying, hey, slow down. And just enjoy me. Enjoy my presence. Enjoy my provisions. Maybe for others of us, it's, it's life under God. Maybe God is speaking into certain areas of our life where he's nudging us, tugging on us, calling us to, to trust him, to depend on him. Maybe it's certain struggles, certain temptations that he's inviting us to, to, to walk away from, to let go of, to surrender. Maybe it's certain relationships that he's calling us to, to pour into to reconcile, perhaps to extend forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, to invest in. Maybe certain life decisions, big life decisions, school decisions, career decisions, financial decisions. Where it's scary, it's frightening, it's uncertain, and God is saying, trust me, trust me. Maybe for others of us, God is leading us into a season of doing life for him. Of, of recognizing and acknowledging that everything we have, everything we've been given, all the blessings is for a purpose. His plans, His purposes, His kingdom. Maybe it's pausing to just consider all that we've been given and to, to ask, how can I be a blessing to others? And however God is leading, however God is moving, whichever aspect of discipleship he's calling you to step into that is the one to pursue that is the one to pursue 
Now, I hesitate in saying this, but I think it needs to be said. There is no version of discipleship where at least one of these are not being pursued. There is no version of discipleship where we are not pursuing at least one of these. Life with God, under God, or for God. I want to close with this. In Acts chapter 5, we get this description of the disciples. They're now apostles, right? Jesus had already died, rose again, ascended into heaven, given them the Holy Spirit. And they're just clicking on all cylinders. They're living out their lives for God, fulfilling their purpose, doing exactly what Jesus has prepared them to do. Right? They are proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. They are blessing people, praying for people, healing people, leading people to Jesus. And they are being persecuted. The Jewish religious leaders, they're, they're threatened. They're jealous, so they arrest them. They order them to stop talking about Jesus. And for good measure, they flog them. Right? They, the 39 lashes, the same presumably that Jesus received. And as they're... they're, they're Walking back, presumably in agony, pain, dripping with blood, here's their response. Verse 41 to 42. It says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Rejoicing. Rejoicing not only over the fruits of their ministry, but rejoicing even in the suffering. That even in that, it drew them closer to Jesus. That they would be worthy to suffer for his name. Now, here's why I bring it up. Now, I'm pretty sure, and I say pretty sure because I don't know for sure, because I wasn't there and I didn't get to interview them. But I'm pretty sure that none of these disciples, apostles, envisioned this for themselves, when Jesus a few years prior said, come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And I think even if Jesus were to have told them, one day, a few years from now, you're going to be proclaiming my name and doing my work, and you're going to get flogged, and you are going to rejoice. Trust me, it'll be worth it. I don't think any of them would have, would have believed it, Right? They might, it might even have scared them off, right? Like, oh, I don't know. And I think for some of us, the, the tension when it comes to discipleship is the uncertainty. Like, if I were to step into this, if I were to commit my whole life to this, like, how's it really going to turn out? Is it really going to make my life better than if, than if I don't? And thus, in this way, the invitation to discipleship, this gift is a gift that needs to be received by faith. Not a blind faith, but a faith that acknowledges, a faith that believes that this God who loves us so much that he pursued us, that he came to live amongst us, die for us so that we can be forgiven, reconciled, adopted as sons and daughters, made worthy of his blessings and favor. This God is a God worth doing life with. 
He is a God worth trusting. He is a God that is worth living for. As we close our our time this morning, uh, we're going to sing a song called Pursue uh, by Hillsong. And the opening section of this song is us envisioning God in His grace and His mercy and His kindness inviting us to draw near, inviting us to follow Him. And our response to pursue, our response to surrender, our response to commit is us saying to Him, we will follow you. We will commit our lives, devote our lives to being your disciples. It doesn't mean that we have everything figured out. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect here on out. It doesn't mean we, we know all the answers to all the questions, but it, it's a demonstration of our trust. That it's not about our own strength, our own abilities, but it's about what, what God can do in us and through us. And this is the essence of discipleship. This is what we are invited to step into. This is pursuing life with God, under God, and for God. Will you pray with me?